You are now listening to The Seedcast. This week on The Seedcast, Andrew Nault and Julia Luft welcome illustrator and designer Dom Siviello to the show. Based out of Boston, Mass., Dom uses his skill set not only as a freelancer, but also an educator, instructing at the New England College Illustration Department alongside the main college of art. His list of accolades include, but are not limited to, American Illustration, Communication Arts Annual, AOI World Illustration Awards, and the Society of Illustrators. So thank you all for joining us. This is episode 10 with illustrator Dom Siviello. Enjoy. Welcome back to the Seedcast, everyone. It's your host, Andrew Nault, sitting across from Julia Luft. What's up? And today we are extremely excited to have Dom Siviello, who is an illustrator, with us on the show. Thank you for joining us, Dom. Lovely to be here. Hell yeah. (laughs) So uh, we always start out asking people uh, when, you know, when the spark was initially ignited. When did you start taking what you do seriously? Um, I think like... Like many people that kind of go down this path, is sort of sort of kind of always been doing it. Like I've always been drawing since I was younger. Mm-hmm. You know, it was in high school where I sort of figured out that there was a career path towards this, and it was more graphic design rather than illustration, right. uh, or even like the fine art side. It's more kind of like what my high school experience was like. Um, it wasn't until really my senior year where I kind of even was introduced to illustration when I was like taking AP art and stuff. I was actually like more into photo before. Oh, yeah. So like, I know. And I I did like photo classes in the summer and stuff at like AIB um, in Boston, like at my junior year of high school, I think. And I was like very into photo. I was taking photo classes in high school, but I always liked to draw, but I was never like, like even still, like I'm always like skeptical of like, am I good at it? And I, I thought I was good at it. I was good, I guess good enough to get into school. Right. <laughs> but it's for sure right. not good. <laughs> it's really one of those charity cases in the in the admissions <laughs> department for sure. Like, like we need a spectrum of people and this guy fit in the bill. <laughs> I mean, I think people are always gonna especially if you're an artist, right? You're always gonna think you can be better than what you are. That's kind of like a natural yeah. thing, you know? At that time, I definitely could could have been. <laughs> yeah, <so candy. laughs> yeah, totally, totally. <laughs> yeah, um, but yeah, that I think high school was sort of the the catalyst when I could, could say this could be like somewhat of a career, or they're sort of like uh, people do this. And, and it was like it, I was also introduced to communication arts at the time, and that was mm-hmm. a big catalyst. Even like in the years in like middle school and stuff, I kind of knew what communication arts was. Because mm-hmm. I would go to Barnes and Noble and I'd see it on the shelves, and I'd always like go to like the magazine section to check out communication arts. Right. Um, it was always like in the back of my mind of like you could kind of do this, or there's people out there doing this, and it was kind of nice yeah. that it was different from the high school experience where it wasn't really fine artsy. It was like design right. and, il- and illustration based stuff, and I didn't really know those terms at the time either. And mm. sort of like that magazine really kind of kind of connected some of the dots. And then when I got to, you know, mass art, it was, it was sort of, 
everything was really starting to connect mm. after that. Did you always know you wanted to teach too? Not really. Um, <laughs> not at the, uh, not at the uh, initial sort of phase when I got to mass art, like it was not never like, I'm going to go to school and then I'm going to start teaching after like that was not in the plan. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I got to school, like even taking foundation classes, like Mark Holland and stuff there. Like when I took Mark's class, I think I was like, I, I kind of like this idea of teaching more. And there was a mm. few other people in the, in the foundation department that I kind of like got along with really well. And it was them that sort of uh, showed me this, like uh, teaching is not like how it is in high school. Like I, I couldn't be right. a high school or a middle school teacher an elementary school right. teacher. It's not, like, that's not for me. Like, but the, the education system, like, like a higher education college level, like mm-hmm. I could totally, like, I, I saw myself like being, I could see myself doing that. It was different right. than what I uh, thought teaching was. What right. exactly is a foundation course? So foundations is the, the first year department at Mass Art. I'm sure there's many other colleges that have it. The schools okay. I teach at have it. It's just basically you go over, it's like a survey, sort of like a survey of like you do 3d you do photo you do illustration work uh, drawing okay. painting you take just a bunch of survey classes and right, you do video right. and it's just it's a foundation just to build foundation skills basic right. understanding of design and that kind of stuff yeah, yeah. like visual mm-hmm. language yeah visual language form and, study yeah you know, gotcha. color theory things like that when i went to berkeley you couldn't declare a major until after your first year so your whole first two semesters yeah. was like Here's all this shit that you should yeah. know up front, and then yeah. you pick your shit afterwards. You know? That's exactly what it's like at Mass Art, but it's okay, I guess cool. I don't. Yeah, I guess you're automatically put in the foundations department. It's not necessarily a major per gotcha. se. Yeah, gotcha. Yeah, it's just a mm-hmm. bunch of prerequisites. So it's basically the same thing. Right. Did you have a really great time in school, or was it kind of like? Yeah. 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 School was good. I really liked it, and I really like Mass Art, and I feel like I fit really well at Mass Art. I only. I toured like one and a half schools and then chose, <laughs> I only yeah. applied to two schools in college because right. I was like, I applied to the AIB, which when I took that photo course in high school, I got in there and then I, I took a tour of Mass Art and then I got into Mass Art and I only applied to those two. Mass Art was far cheaper than AIB, which is now Leslie University, I should mention. So people look uh, it up, okay. they probably won't okay. find it. It was like Art Institute of Boston. Um, right. And I just like really liked Mass Art. It was like imperfect in all the best ways. Yeah. It was like super totally. like Boston feel. It was just like how I grew up. And it's like very much a, you talked about this like sort of with, with uh, Kate um, Wildman in, in yep. your guys' episode. It was like, it's very like grungy sort of like working yep. class. And I really, that's like sort of like I gravitated towards that much right. better yeah. than like a RISD sort of. Right. upper class vibe <laughs> yeah that northeast kind of kind of homey vibe you know yeah yeah that was the same reason why i picked it too it was just like i could see myself in these studios being friends with any yeah. of these people that are right. around you know yeah nobody wants to be around a bunch of people that you feel like are white gloving it the whole time you know what i mean yeah yeah no. what i was gonna say is like even the professors too was something i kind of like looked up mm. and was really interested in Mm-hmm. and at that time too in high school i was like not doing as much photo necessarily but like in apr i was like doing more drawing and design work and uh in like the illustration department design department they're they're kind of like the what um, admissions was sort of promoting was really exciting for me to see and then like touring and seeing the studios and seeing like t- what type yep. of work the students were making and what projects mm-hmm. they were working on 
really kind of gravitated towards me a lot more. And they have like, uh, I've only I've only been there a couple of times, but it's like an open studio kind of setup, right? Like everybody yeah. works in like a big room. Oh, it's so sick, dude! Nice. Nine ninth floor is awesome. I miss it you're, all the time. Oh man, me too. Me too. <laughs> I was averaging on my senior year like a hundred hours in that studio. Yeah, um, a week. Yep. And, yeah, and I wanted to be there because you're not just with illustration students; you're mixed in with des- graphic design students and animation students and you're sharing mm-hmm. studio spaces like my my senior year my studio space was shared with a graphic designer um, that's cool yeah you, so you get all the real estate because they just work on I know. computers <laughs> i know well that's what his name johnny clendata he's, he's at adobe now so he's doing like fancy Shit. fancy fancy oh, things cool. and uh yeah but cool. he he basically had a little chair in the corner and he was like this mm-hmm. is good enough for me yeah. and my <laughs> stuff was everywhere i had, like, yeah. like empty frames paper and i was just collecting stuff from like free share yeah <laughs> that i still have like I'm gonna, yeah. I'll eventually use it, and then right. it's like, so I don't have to buy it later. Right. I actually lucked out my my first year in those studios. My studio mate dropped out, and so I had <laughs> my own studio space. Oh shit! The whole time I was there, I probably should have asked some, like asked somebody about that, but like. I had so much space. It was That's sick. He like left all his materials there. I was like, this is Freebies. great. Yeah. Do you feel like do you feel like the vibe changed when you got people around you? So the ninth floor was set up so that everybody kind of had their own cubicle. Okay. So that was super rad because you could work around people without having to really like talk or anything but like every now and again you would take your headphones out and turn around and everybody would like check in on each other yeah like you could yeah (laughs) yeah is that how you guys met each other probably i don't know how we met to be honest with you you (laughs) kind of wandered around i feel like you were always kind of like walking around checking in seeing what people were working on and i was always a hot mess and needed help and (laughs) and you were always kind enough to offer it (laughs) i i was thinking of that before we kind of you know this past week when uh you kind of asked me to come on i was like how did i meet julia and i don't remember it must be the ninth floor but that's why that studio was so rad is because you could just like you could just walk up to somebody else's cubicle and be like that's sick uh what else you got yeah i i think that was it like i was probably working on something and crying about it and you were like well why don't you like calm the fuck down and let's let's talk about this like listen to me cry about what i have to cry about (laughs) i mean you gotta cry every once in a while it gets the good workout oh it was all the time yeah I know we were very intense personalities, me and Julia. So I think that's why we kind of connected. It was like work all the time kind of thing. I think that that's like our whole unit. Like, I mean, you guys were all in the same class and you guys took a bunch of classes together and stuff. And I just kind of like tagged along. But um, (laughs) it... I, I think it's because we were all always there. Mm. Like there were some people that yeah. never used their studios. There were some people that were there during last time hours. Right. Um, but we were there around the clock. But yeah. I mean, I was lucky enough too when I was there to get a work study job in the studio. So I was sort of like got paid to just like work in the studio and like, Hell yeah. like organize classes and, and clean up mm. and do stuff like that. Mm. And I wanted to be there too. I think that was it. Like a lot of the people that, end up having like a studio space and, and, and abandon it i, I guess mm-hmm. they just don't want to be part of the environment but right. I, just, I wanted to be there i wanted yeah. to be part of the environment 
I feel mm. like even after you graduated, like during my senior year, like you still popped in a bunch. And I, yeah. I think that like you gave, well, you gave like demos and um, stuff like that and still were very much a part of the community after you graduated. And I think it sort of speaks volumes as to how cool of a place that was to make work and just be a mm. part of. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I had a bunch of friends like you, Liam Mahoney, um, mm-hmm. Kate Costello, Michelle Stevens and stuff, like all mm-hmm. around your year or graduating, like even the years kind of after you and Caitlin uh, Mavilia. Mm-hmm. So I'd come and hang out there. I was asked to do a couple demos and we'll talk to about like thesis work and stuff. So, yeah, and also I, I couldn't afford a scanner. So I was always <laughs> jumping in there to some point to scan stuff. Uh, yeah, the, the lab oh, the, make prints and scan stuff online, and and uh, <laughs> yeah, I know. hey man, that education's got to pay for something. You know what I mean? Get I know. I eventually got it. I got. I bought a scanner about two years ago now, and it's or a year and a half ago. The the one that like the big fancy one they have in the studio. Oh and, yeah. Oh, it's so nice not having to dry. That like three thousand dollar monster. Yeah. I know, or, <laughs> it's yeah. It was close to that. It was for sure a, a hefty little. It's worth it, though. It was so worth it. I use it all the time, and now I don't have to commute there. And uh, And and, probably, like, the relaxation of just feeling like that tool is there when you need it. It's so nice. I know. And I think, like, if anyone's on the fence of buying an Epson flatbed 17-inch scanner, (laughs) go for it, because you're not going to regret it. (laughs) This is not sponsored by Epson, but if you are willing to sponsor this Epson, uh, feel free to reach out to me. yeah there's the plug love it yeah i also think that that sort of it's it's shit like that that sort of speaks volumes as to how dedicated you are to to all of this Mm -hmm. is like even after you graduated you still wanted to be a part of the community you know you're willing to to drop a couple g's on a fucking scanner like (laughs) which sounds crazy to a lot of people but if you need a scanner you know and i i know that it's also like a a, a legend that you like sold your truck to go to illustration masterclass ah uh, is that a legend uh, yeah i don't know yeah uh, <laughs> i i sold my jeep yeah to afford part of like one week of of the <laughs> illustration academy yeah i didn't hell I'm yeah surprised to remember that i forgot about that because it's a legend yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, no, I could only get to go to one week too. Goes <laughs> to show you how good that Jeep was. It's so funny because I was the, the Epson, I was just thinking of this before you brought this up. Was that the, the Epson scanner cost exactly the same as that Jeep cost when I bought it? Oh <laughs> shit! Yeah, yeah. And I was thinking when I got the Epson scanner when it came came on the doorstep. I uh, I was like, this this costs the same as that car, and I'm getting a I'm, this is. I'm getting way less, <laughs> getting way less material. I mean, but you're getting you're getting so much more in terms of like productivity and like the ease of of finalizing stuff Andrew, or whatever. That you know? car had four wheel drive. Oh right, <laughs> yeah. Got some nice tires on there. You're set through those New England. They were very winters. not good tires. Yeah. <laughs> I a couple a couple donuts, uh, unintentional donuts in that thing. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, four wheel drive doesn't matter if you have no tread on your tires. Yeah, I know, especially in New England. But goddamn, that scanner, right? Scanner's so good. Yeah, yeah. I still keep it wrapped up in plastic. I'm so scared of like anything happening oh, to it. Oh, that's incredible. I know. So I, have, I know. It's, I have... Uh, oh. Here's an honest thing. I have cases for drums that cost more than a car that I had. 
I like, understand. Not even, not even the drums <laughs> themselves, just the cases to put them in. You know I what know, I mean? Yeah. <laughs> what no. are we doing, guys? Uh, we're living it up. <laughs> it's the lifestyle. This, yeah. is, the, this is the sacrifice you make for the lifestyle. That's it. Yeah. yeah. But I'm sure. I'm sure that that scanner has led to so much other stuff that you know pro- might not have been as easy to get to if it wasn't there. You know? Yeah. And I think like even like when I got my iPad, all of it was sort of sparked by some type of work or project. Right. I, I never just quite sort of bought things on a whim and hoped it worked out. Like right. I got the scanner and I was able to afford it because I got a, a really uh, like a nice paying job, an illustration right. job where I was going to need that scanner in order for to make it work. Like I wouldn't be able to commute to mass art to scan stuff. So that was mm. the catalyst of me buying that or making that investment right. where I could still like m- make some money off the gig and then also invest in the business side of it or the material aspect. Right. You get a tax right off as well, which is lovely right and by the time the gig is over it's already paid for itself yeah exactly yeah yeah yeah, yeah. it's all good up front and that was the same thing like when i got my ipad like i have students ask me is it worth buying an ipad and like the apple pencil and i was like for me yeah it definitely was because i used it in order to make money and you know so i think it's like all sort of situational Mm -hmm. um like i wouldn't advise anyone to buy something because they think they think they're going to use it but like you get it when you sort of know you're going to need it right do you mostly work in that format? Yeah, in, in aspects. Like, I don't usually work all digitally. Okay. Uh, it's usually a combination of mixed media. So it's like uh, graphite drawing, then I'll scan it in, and then I'll do stuff in Photoshop. I'll create textures, scan those in, add the textures in Photoshop, and then I'll bring it on the iPad, either using, like, Procreate or, or uh, uh-huh. like, the Photoshop uh-huh. app and do, like, smaller touch-ups. Because it's very mm-hmm. difficult, like, even... Like I can draw using a Wacom tablet, just like the the one you plug in. It's fine, but it's not like I can't get the accuracy I could get with like a pencil or even just like drawing, like making touch ups with the with the Apple pencil and just like having it be seeing what I'm actually doing and looking at the right. page like it's paper. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's been really convenient. That other tablet is like something that's kind of like a mouse pad almost then. I'm sorry, I, I just don't know what it no, is. Yeah. yeah, it's like in front yeah. of you, like a pad, and then you're looking at your computer screen and you're not looking at your hand. You're that looking sounds at funky. It it's takes really some dexterity to get used to for sure. Yeah. I yeah. can do it. Yeah, that's huh. really... It's it's a game changer when you're first able to like actually see what you're drawing on digitally. Wild. Yeah. But I gotta say, like the, as far as like what type of effects you're getting, like if you're trying to get some more ma- a natural effect, like even like iPad or Procreate, get pretty, they get pretty close to the Photoshop app. All those brushes get pretty close, but it's not the same as like mm-hmm. a traditional like graphite line. Mm-hmm. Yeah, something that I think is really cool about not only your work but the way that you work is the way that it's intellectualized, and I think that that's what makes you a good teacher is because not only can you explain how you arrived to an idea into a composition Mm -hmm. but like you can teach somebody that that process is very teachable yeah um do you want to talk a little bit about that yeah i think like how that that process sort of developed naturally when i was at mass art maybe my junior year ish Mm -hmm. about that that's when we had more free reign and after we got a lot of the fundamental classes out of out of the way and like I, I should have mentioned too before this, like this took a long time to sort of develop. I'm not even certain it's fully developed at this stage. Okay. Um, I've messed up a lot in the past. So it wasn't just like I did this and then started getting really great products out of it to follow right. a step-by-step thing. 
Right. But I started looking at things as puzzle pieces because I, I sort of recognized I was fine at drawing. I was fine at painting. I, you know, fine at like making textures. I was never really, really great at any one of those things. The things I was really great at were color theory, design fundamentals, and coming up with ideas. And those gotcha. are like the invisible things no one really cares about, especially on Instagram, right? right they just want right. to see the thing and like it and move on. But like, those are the things I'm good at. <laughs> it, it, I always say like, oh, that's the thing that I can fall back and be confident when something is not working. But right. I started looking at things as puzzle pieces. So uh, I'm not really great at really any one thing, but I'm really good at like taking everything and combining it together to make something. Right. So I kind of like rely on my strengths and weaknesses that way. But yeah, the process is essentially you start, you, you do research thinking. So a lot of, a lot of that stuff is also invisible. People don't really consider. And then you make small little designs, make those small little designs in the bigger designs, then start rendering out final drawings and stuff like on paper. So I, most drawings like you'd see on my portfolio or on my website are like uh, 18 by 24 little pieces of paper. So they're kind of right. larger. And uh, that's just so I can get all the details in there. Because uh -huh. I, I got this advice from Irina Rome, and I'll probably botch the phrase, but it's something like you can only draw, draw the smallest thing as big as you need to get all the small details. So there's a lot of like backwards right. wordplay there. Right, right, so a right, lot right. of the time, in order for me to draw a small detail well, was to draw it big. Mm -hmm. So everything else would have to scale up. To, to that size and around that size is sort of kind of where I found I could draw things well and also kind of uh -huh. keep consistency through it and not have to sacrifice any part of it because I couldn't like uh -huh. get it right tiny and then after that I scan it all in and I sort of bring in the photoshop and uh, add values to make sure you know all the contrast is working out really well there's not mm -hmm. no parts are sort of like getting blurred or lost together and work in black and white for the majority of the time um, and then once I start to kind of have it all figured out in black and white, that's when I'll start adding some kind of like color scheme to it, add some textures to it, add some like light and effects. And then if, if I need to like make any touch up marks, I'll bring it on the iPad and procreate and kind of do some draw overs of, and fix some things. If, if things get lost or blurred out and then kind of go back into Photoshop, make any final edits and then sort of export it from there. But, but even with all of that, like it's like that's so concrete. I feel like like Andrew and I talk a lot about not really being able to describe how we arrived somewhere. This is something oh, yeah. that's very concrete, very repeatable and very reliable, which is why yeah. you're a good illustrator is mm. because it is something that you can look at your portfolio and know that you can ask for something and, and yeah. kind of have an idea of what the result is going to be, which that's kind of um, like the name of the gig. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah, the trade-off there, though, is that it is very laborsome of a process. Even just explaining it is kind of like a, a mouthful, right? right. And, and it, it does take a lot of time, too, especially if you have to rush the prep work, like those mm. beginning stages. Right. Even if I don't figure out what something looks like in black and white first and go straight to color, it sort of ends up taking longer because I have to go reverse engineer it and make sure all the value patterns work well. So if it's printed or if it's shown on a screen and, and if it's shown on different screens have sort of different um, outputs. So some screens might show it darker or some screens might show it lighter. Right. And you have to just make sure that contrast in an image is going to be versatile enough where you don't have to really consider if it's going to be printed on paper or what type of screen it's going to be displayed on. Yeah, I know from a musical standpoint, it's always like you have to find the best set of studio monitors that kind of yeah. 
cover your bases, you know? Yeah. I need to know that what I'm listening to will sound good on everything else, including those shitty earbuds that somebody has, right? <laughs> I know. I, I sympathize with that as well. I mean, that illustration process is sort of very systematic. And mm-hmm. I do consider myself like more of a designer than maybe like an artist. Gotcha. I don't know if that's just because more people can just consider themselves artists and designers sort of a title you need to earn a little <laughs> bit, maybe. Interesting. Interesting. Um, but I definitely like definitely have way more of a, a designer's mindset, especially when it comes to that. Mm-hmm. But there, but there is a lot of stuff that is lost when you aren't sort of just being experimental, and that's sort of something I'm beginning to do now. And even like, so you mentioned like recording music too. That's something I do as well. But it's not it's not in the sort of your traditional like rock and roll or band sort of setting anything. Right, it's more than right. just like ambient noises for uh for like animations or something cool right um with those it is way more of an experimental process that contrasts that like exhausting illustration process right um even like doing motion graphics too like i sort of start with a foundation and sort of let the process or let like happy accents lead the way and Mm -hmm. uh I, I like that, but I know it's not as reliable as like right. the illustration process. Mm-hmm. So I'm trying yeah. to find this balance now where I can take a little bit of the best of both worlds, sort of squish it together. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is really, it is really challenging and uh, it, there's no right answer, which is difficult. Right. Is most of your illustration work uh, for like a professional capacity or do you still do things uh, like for fun and exploration in that in that realm? More recently, it's been mostly the latter of that. After school is slowly building an illustration like uh, career and getting like some steady products pro- mm-hmm. or projects rather um, where there's like one. It was like two my first year out of school and then I got a couple the next year where they were like I got a couple like right away in the same like month. And then mm. I got like a few later that year and then I got a really big one the late that next year. And then I had plans to do a whole bunch of projects throughout the summer this year. And it sort of just all fell flat with, uh, okay. with COVID and, uh, right. Right. And it sort of feels like, uh, I'm just starting over at this point because everything is sort of yeah. like on standby and people are moving on and, and, right. and, uh, yeah, or pro- those projects aren't happening anymore, and mm-hmm. people are sort of changing what they're doing, and mm-hmm. they're sort of trying to like figure out like what to do next, and or just use this time to like play around a little bit more mm. since I have so I'm able to. Right? Does that feel refreshing to you? Uh, yeah. Yes and no. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <I'm>, uh, <laughs> yes, it, it's like it's nice. I can do some things that are different. I'm learning new skills, um, but. I am sort of upset that like I spent how many years getting to a point where I was like starting to make it work. Yep. A, just a little bit and like yep. barely make it work. And like, yep. and and now it sort of feels like it got ripped away out of my control. Totally. Um, Dude, if anybody understands that it's fucking Andrew. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, most of my, uh, over the past like five or six years, I've kind of dedicated my life to a live music scenario, right? Yeah. Because yeah. in, you know, making money off of recorded music now these days is very difficult unless you're out playing shows and selling physical records. Yeah. Um. So yeah, it's definitely, I'm, I'm right there with you. It's like <laughs> I know. everything that I've pushed towards 
was all of a sudden just like, oh yeah, but you know, you're not going to do that for, for a while. <laughs> okay. Do you feel like there's going to be an influx though after this? Like you're going to be selling shows out left and right, like no one's business <sighs> because everyone wants to get out. I honestly feel like that is dependent upon the size of the artist, right? I feel like everyone's yeah. going to be so starved for shows that even the tiny little venues that someone as small as myself used to be able to get the shows at are going to be booked by larger bands. Oh, shit. Yeah, and the booking maybe. agents are going to be like, well, I'm going to take these guys who have a bigger following because that's guaranteed money. And we've been, this venue is almost dead, you know, or this promotion yeah. is almost dead. I don't even think about that. So I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be tricky. I think we'll probably see a lot of people doing more independent DIY shows which i think will fucking rule because like, I'm, yeah. shows like and... that's where the vibe is for me like i grew mm -hmm. up doing that so playing those shows in somebody's basement where people uh, are there yeah. because they fucking care yeah that's what's up you know mm -hmm. you know speaking of stuff like that is there like a, a kind of like a diy like underground illustration area i'm curious <laughs> Zines, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Zines probably the closest thing to it, but nothing like what you're nothing like what like a basement show is like for yeah, sure. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, Mass Art Ninth Floor. <laughs> Mass Art Ninth Floor. Yeah, or Thieves Grotto. <laughs> what is that? Thieves, what? This is like, oh man. I'm surprised you don't know about that yeah. being at Berkeley. Right? I don't know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It was just like a house on the hill and uh it was it was probably for eight years that thing was going. I don't know if it's still around. I mean, it was, it was when I moved out of Boston, but it's basically just like a house on the hill that had basement shows that like so consistently. Very like Ra Ra Riot played there. Oh. <laughs> I'd never been to like any sort of show or concert. And that was my intro to it was, oh, was those underground basement so shows. Cool. Yes. Um, and I like I've been to like Royale and, and uh, yep. Yep. those other ones. What's the other one? Boston. It was like House Sinclair. of Blues and that stuff. Yeah, Sinclair. Yeah. And uh, I still like that basement way more than any of them. That's what's <laughs> up, man. That's what I'm talking about. So did I this know. place also do like art stuff besides shows or? Not, that, not really. Yeah. I mean, they sell merch and stuff. Yeah, just shows. Cool. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's something I'm like been thinking. I mean, not a whole lot, but just like very curious about just in general is like, what is that like? thing for illustration dude right. i think about this all like this you shit know. keeps me up at night mm, mm. like i think i've i say this every fucking episode <laughs> of like i'm so jealous of the way that musicians get to interact with the people that consume their sure. their art you know sure. like yeah. illustration is such a private consumption of like you you're flipping through a magazine or you yeah. walk by a movie poster right. but it's, like yeah the context yeah. is far different Gotcha. I mean, it's also like you're trying to make a pig fly when it doesn't have wings at the same time, right? <laughs> um, but at the same time, maybe you can just like make wings for it or make an airplane and put a pig on it. <laughs> right, 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 right. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I mean, like even like, like what's the Spotify for visual art is, is my question. Fucking like, Instagram. Instagram, sort of, but not really. Because it's so mixed in with people's lives, it gets passed over. It's right. why you go to it to listen to music. Totally, right? totally, yeah. And there's such like a value to that, and like there's even a value to like how music interacts with people's days. It's all so seamless now. Car radios, or even just like putting on like a lo-fi beat in the background while you work. It's so integrated. Right, there's, it's everywhere too. It's everywhere, everywhere you go. 
elevators like even the most mundane shit you're in an elevator supermarket you're on fucking hold somebody yeah. you know what i mean well yeah. because that's a piece of music that has reached a point where even fucking jeff bezos and all the people in the in the whole foods bullshit know that when you walk into a whole foods your shopping experience is going to be way better if they have like celine dion you know it's yeah, yeah well try <laughs> try working there <laughs> sure but like the if, same fucking if you, 40 songs if you Ow. walk in it would be way worse walking into like Dead a silent, silent yeah. Walmart. You are correct. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But it would also be way worse if there wasn't fucking art on all the shit that you bought. If it was just like a plain package with like a word of what it was. But you that's hot I mean? right now. That's minimalism and people are fucking into it. Get out of here. <laughs> to an extent Get- for sure. But yeah. But like <laughs> Apple ruined everything bad, for us. <laughs> bad bad design is bad design. No matter yeah, that's what, what I'm talking <laughs> about. Right? And that, that expands beyond just the graphic design, but in the music, if nothing's not composed right, you're gonna notice it and you're not gonna like it. Right. Totally. Right? Totally. Yeah. Even if you don't have the vocabulary to express why something is shitty, yeah. you still have a reaction of like, ooh. Yeah, it's nope. like when you look at illustration work and your eye doesn't know where to go. Like yeah. even I yeah. know when I see something that I'm like, well, I think they kind of missed the mark and I don't know shit. That's exactly <laughs> why I think like anybody can do this if they learn design principles. Like that's ah, like from my sick. experience is like I people are like, oh, you can't do that. I, I don't know how to draw or I can't, I, I, I don't understand like how to paint. And it's like, that's just a skill set anyone can learn with time. But all mm-hmm. humans are sort of, they, they're they're subject to understanding what's good and bad and over time what they think is good ends up maybe being bad but then like sort of like what they get from those experiences creates something even better um, right and right. that's like just where the like james jeans come from um mm. of like the the painting and illustration world right i mean maybe he he seems like someone who's just always good but <laughs> who knows <laughs> But like yeah. I, I mean, speaking from personal experience, like I was very bad, and even in beginning classes at Mass Art up until like my junior year, really, we're starting to figure it out. Freshman sophomore year, recognized very early, I was not one of the good kids, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and, and it wasn't until like I really like I think it was in uh, Nicholas McNally's uh, one of his drawing classes where we really sat down and he went over uh, design theory with us, and then how those principles related to illustration. Gotcha. Um, like really dissected like the creative illustration like andrew loomis book and and after i understood those things everything else started making sense gotcha. so it's like if someone's interested in it it only takes it's just like anything else if you want to be good at something mm-hmm. you just have to spend the time to get good at it right you know and right. and in the people that are have a natural tap basically it's like a muscle memory type of thing they can see something they can draw something that can only mm-hmm. bring you so far, but if you don't have the drive to get better, you're going to get surpassed really fast. Right. You know, you might be the best into your sophomore year, but then after that, sorry, you're going to get left behind. That was mm. exactly my experience because I feel like I knew how to draw going into mass art and mm. I thought I was hot shit. <laughs> and um, I was severely mistaken. I found out very, very quickly that that was going to get me absolutely nowhere and that I had to right. work very hard not only to keep up with everybody but to to try and raise the bar and like if you don't hold yourself accountable for that you're absolutely right of like you're gonna get left behind because Mm. talent only gets you so far and then diligence takes you all the way oh yeah yeah it's a difference maker 100 percent. so coming from 
your experience, you're saying that if you know the design principles, even if even if your illustration work isn't top notch, the design part of it yeah. and like training training yourself to understand the principles of that is is extremely important to your success. For sure. Afterwards. Just understand like truly understand and not just like reading a book and being like, Oh, I got it. I read the book, but like pr- understand. I can I say this to students all the time is like, no matter what drawing you give me, I can make it look presentable because I rely on these five characteristics. Basically, contrast is like, for me, the number one thing okay. uh, as far as illustration goes. But, you know, there's a handful of others. I don't ever really like say the vocabulary. <laughs> right. <of these. laughs> it's I just sort of just do them in, in like, um, you just um, have the, the check marks now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, uh, but anything you sort of put in front of me, I could probably make it look good. Or, or understand what isn't working and then make those changes as well. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, that was so helpful for me because like having the ability to draw, but not having the design to, right. to hold it up. Well, it's all about that um, bell curve, right? You know, on one side of the bell curve, you have like the most mundane, like brainless stuff and the popularity is very low. On the other side, you have the most intellectual fucking high intelligence shit and the consumption of it is very low but if you can meet those in the middle Mm -hmm. you know kind of like your design and your craft at the same time well i guess design is part of the craft but like your skill set and then your design work seems to like boister the popularity to its highest point it's kind of Mm -hmm. what you're saying yeah 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 the bell curve i feel that music (laughs) all the time like people can play circles around me but they can't write a song Mm. you can write all these cool parts but you don't know how to put them together. And that's like, if you don't have the contrast of the ideas that blend together, mm-hmm. then you don't have a song and it's not going to happen. Yeah. I'm so glad that you said contrast too, because that even exists in like concepts and feeling. And it, so it's it's not just like a visual thing of like light and dark. Yeah. But uh, I remember the the first lecture that I sat in on with Sterling Hundley he was like, yeah, I ideate by coming up with two contrasting words mm-hmm. and those together create tension. And I thought about like all the music that I liked too of like I, it's it has like a, a heavy feel, but has classical elements or it's very melodic. But then, it you know, it but it's still kind of like dingy and it, right. it's that tension that's created by that contrast, even in concept. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's so why bands work really well together, right? Because like a guitar sounds really nice by itself, but then when you contrast it with drums and bass and vocals, all those yep. different things combine together to make something far better than just a guitar. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, nine times out of ten. Once yeah. Well, yeah. Unless, yeah. Unless you're just not not good. Not good. At it. There's yeah. there's there's no escaping the not yeah. good. Like I'm sure with your work, like if you just weren't good at one part of it, then it wouldn't be the same thing. You know what I mean? Yeah, you don't show it, it doesn't work. Yeah. (laughs) Right, right, totally. (laughs) Yeah, that's the thing too. And like when you do understand things really well at a fundamental level, like seeing what's not good is so obvious after Mm. you really understand those those fundamentals. Mm. And making those changes become easier and then creating good work becomes easier. Do you feel like being an educator has helped with all of that? Definitely. Yeah, for sure. Because I'm practicing the basics all the time. Like mm-hmm. the level of classes that I teach are like freshman, sophomore. Okay. So this semester I'm teaching one upper level class, but it's still all rooted in like 
fundamentals of um, motion graphics and stuff. Right. Um, so they are kind of these more understanding principles things. But yeah, I mean, if you don't use it, you sort of slowly start to forget it. Right. Um, you know, it's like just with those like words. It's like I, I never say that any of the vocabulary words to these design principles right, because right. I'm just doing them all the time. Um, right. Yeah. So it's like teaching stuff, making presentations, un- really understanding what words you're saying when you're expressing them to people, and like understanding what color schemes mean what, not just saying like analogous color scheme and not knowing what an analogous color scheme is, yeah, but just because okay. it sounds nice or something right. that seems appropriate. <laughs> So I'm curious, um, earlier you said you're a very, uh, emotional creator. Um, is that, is that still the case? Cause it seems like in talking to you, the process is kind of pragmatic almost, right? But is there still a part of the, the creation process that, that is kind of like unpredictable and emotional or? Like m- emotional as, as like storytelling goes or just oh, no, no, in I a mean general like, sense. I mean, like when you're like, I know that certain kinds of music, I have to be like uncomfortable to make it. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like a part of the, it's a part of the vibe. And it's like, if I'm having a particular kind of day and I'm in that headspace, I'll make a certain kind of thing. Right. Yeah. So is your work at all emotionally driven or is it very like you see the big picture and you're very calm and you execute? Um, I think you bit of both. I got to say, probably, you know, like, I think it's very uncomfortable when I am drawing something still, like I I Mm -hmm. haven't probably, I'm confident if if, like someone hires me, they will expect something good or something as equal to what's on my website or something. Right. 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 But like with that, like there is still like when you start a drawing, especially if I'm doing something traditionally, I feel like, uh, you know, the timelines there, there's all these other like factors that start to, um, kind of impede on just being able to just like make a drawing and make a drawing. Right. Um, so like there is that element of uncomfortability there. And, and, and even like knowing now doing the process for such a long time, having it be so laborsome kind of is more of the emotional uh, yes. aspect of it is just totally. like knowing that this is going to, there's a lot of steps and a lot of boxes I need to check off in order to make something. Right. And that's kind of like, the past few months now is sort of something I've stepped away from. And, and sort of like when I was talking about like making music and making motion graphics that have a little bit of a different process that are less um, standardized right. is, is a really nice refreshing thing because I can start it and go into it and then sort of get lost and, you know, playing with effects and after effects and right. just like seeing what things do. And it's like a mad scientist almost in a way where I'm just right. trying to like figure out how this thing works and that's what's really exciting to me. And that's the thing that I'm trying to mix into that systematic process now more than cool. ever. Is Super like taking cool. like those bubbly beakers and like splashing things together to like really create some more of like a, a process that interests me and that I'm excited to go to the desk regardless if I have a deadline or not. Right. Or if someone's paying me or not. I'm just kind mm. of like happy to do it. That's mm. super cool. Trying to keep the work fresh in a way yeah and like keep your I mind got energized. And like i got that i got that to that point in uh when i was at mass art i was just like turning around things because i was like slowly figuring things out and i was being experimental and then i right. figured it out and i standardized it really well and now like i also am trying to i've done a lot of things that are a little bit different than like the earlier work that is on my portfolio 
and and I'm just trying to take that new stuff that's working well and that's exciting and mix it together with that old process. And just mm-hmm. trying to find something in the middle that still has elements of experimentation that are still uh, standardized that work for a commercial aspect. Right. That's sort of like where the emotion I think is for me is like trying to stay excited right. um, in right. a process that is sort of really laborsome. Yeah, it's something that we've talked about before on this show is like how you how you cope with success and how you proceed after the success, right? You know, so you have to continue to push yourself even though you have something that's working for yeah. just like your own mental well-being as an artist, right? Yeah, and it's like understanding that it's working and then understanding that people like it and they expect things from you now that are right. like that or to right. that caliber. So if you are interested in something different or or start doing something a little bit different, it's almost like you, you get comments that are like, why, why are you doing something different? You yeah. know, and even like subjectively for me is like uh, this October, I was doing like all these little making like little characters and like silly little things that like some of them are cool. Some of them aren't, some of them make me laugh and that's fun, but right. they're not as impressive as like some of uh, the other work on my portfolio. Right. Um, so some of like the, the June 6th stuff or the Americana folklore stuff that are a little bit more um elaborate you know Mm -hmm. um and i can i understand that and i Mm -hmm. realize that and like so that's attention too is like i don't know like what do i do here (laughs) what what does someone do in this position right do you do both of them do you keep things separate or is there sort of this drive to kind of like only do one thing i don't know I, i do both (laughs) totally yeah i uh i left illustration completely because i couldn't figure out an answer i was like (laughs) i i don't think i can do this (laughs) i'm just gonna experiment all the time instead well in in music right they talk about how difficult your second release is right because you put out your first release and you're you're just a spot on a map that seemingly Mm. came out of nowhere right you're a culmination of your experiences but when you release something under a new title it's like you're a random spot in the middle of a sea of everything. Mm-hmm. But then when you're yeah. putting out your second release, you're creating a trajectory and you're creating a direction. And what do you take from that first release that works? And how do you progress it in a way that doesn't lose those people who mm-hmm. maybe liked the initial idea, but you also don't lose yourself in the process? You right. know, I think I'm figuring it out now. And it's like, you can figure out more mm-hmm. things as we talk here and just, because uh, awesome. I just remember when we were in school, there were some professors who even recommended like coming up with a pseudonym for a different portfolio. Yeah. People recommended that to me because I had no idea what I wanted to do with my work right. and I had no right. direction of like what market of illustration, like how to market my, my work. And they were like, okay, mm-hmm. well this is working here. So just keep doing this. And then like maybe, come up with a pseudonym so that you can continue to do that so that you can still do these two things and you can satisfy both sides of yourself right but keep them so separate that they think it's a different person so much right it's like different band names or a pen name for a writer exactly yeah i've been playing around with that idea now especially with the the two different styles but boy oh boy is it difficult to just like keep (laughs) up with like one person like just myself right right and uh and like when you introduce yourself to somebody in public what do you say 
Hello, my name is Dom. Uh, I'm also known as all these other names. Hell yeah. Look me up on all these other Instagram accounts. It's way too, for me, I don't know, like I like the idea of it and also like deciding on what's your name. And, you know, I understand what's like name a kid now because like that's a that's a challenge in itself because that's there forever. Um, it's really hard to kind of um, decide on that. And uh, sure. I guess the playoff of that is, is like it's sort of why I've been really interested in like marketing my work more as like a studio in this moment Ooh. in time rather than yeah. a individual. Because yeah. this is something I've noticed, too, is that. I have a really hard time just uh, as easy as this might seem like talking to you. I'm like more of a shyer person than, than it may be. So even sure. like put myself out in public is, is a rather difficult task. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's been why it's been kind of harder for me to market myself and me as an individual to sure. like penguin random house and to get work. But it's right. far easier for me to like market something that is uh, uh, inanimate. inanimate? Is, is, is not real. Yeah, thank you. Like not a real thing, which is a studio. Yeah, it, where I'm sort of one step removed from it, but like pulling all the strings. That's smart as hell. That man. is yeah. a great idea. Yeah, I mean, it's not. I didn't come up with it. It's like people have done it before. So <laughs> <laughs> right, but it's 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 a cool thing to know that like that pair of pants fits on you. You know, where it's right. like because you do a lot of things and they like you can tell that it's your work because it is your work and so your hand is automatically going to do the thing that it does but Mm. you do animation you do stills you do motion graphics uh you've done branding like you do a lot of shit and it's not just under the heading of design and it's not just under the heading of illustration like it is very much the output that a full studio does and you fucking teach like yeah, dog. <laughs> nice one, dude. <laughs> Crushing it. Uh, yeah, I mean, it seems like it. <laughs> <laughs> dude, that's what everybody yeah. says. But yeah. like, you're doing I, the thing. Yeah, it's very kind of you. It makes me feel good, especially when you guys say that. So, um, it's nice that people are, are that kind of like like the work. You know, I'm still not yeah. at the point where I'd say I feel any bit of like a success in any means. I still sure. Th- there's sure. anything that I'm really good at is messing up. And like failing at stuff like that is what i'm good at <laughs> you know beyond the, the design stuff i was like that's that's the thing i'm really good at and that's the thing that school taught me that's why i'm really happy i went to school is like it, it taught me that i was a really good failure not in the sense that like you can't do anything but everyone's gonna mess up more than they succeed that's just right. how the cookie crumbles especially in right. a market like illustration now where everyone with an ipad can do it you know, right. so you're competing with way more people. So I learned early on, especially because I wasn't good, that I w- was going to fail way more than the people that were good. So how do right. you deal with that? Do you could right. quit? You could leave, right? Or you can just accept that you have to do more work than everybody else. And right. when you do more work and you put in more time than everybody else, you're still going to be bad at the beginning. You're still not going to be as good. Your end products are still not going to be maybe even compatible or comparable to them. Uh, right. to everyone else and uh, but it's like how do you deal with that you have to s- keep showing up you got to spend uh, like hours and hours in the studio developing that you have to dedicate yourself to it um and that's why i'm really happy i went to school because it showed me like if i stick with anything i can figure it out and i can make it work and it's like Hell even yeah. playing guitar uh, i use this example in class too is like I, I i never took really a music lesson like once in fifth grade 
I never picked up an uh, instrument until I was like somewhere in college. Right. And I decided that I wanted to learn guitar and I was very, very bad and I'm still not great at it, but I understand it now right. and I can play and I can keep up and play with tempos and record stuff and it doesn't sound awful. Right. It sounds fine. It's not great either. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's still yeah. making progress. And But if I didn't go to school, I probably would have never committed to learning that. Right. Um, even mm-hmm. like with motion graphics is something I learned after school and I would have never been able to say to myself, like, if you stick with this, you can, you know, figure it out. Um, right. And I think mm-hmm. like, I th- that's the thing that more than anything that I find like, you know, happy and what I, why I went to school with or yeah. why I went to school and like what I actually got out of going to college was right. that thing. And right. I, for me, that's really sort of irreplaceable at this right. point. Like that is worth Definitely. the college experience for me. In my experience as a musician, it's all about knowing how to practice. Like if I can't do something, how do I break it down to the smallest mechanics so that I can work my way up to it? If you don't know how to practice and you don't know how to progress your practice, you're never going to get from A to Z. You're going to get from like A to D, you know? And it's like, you have to know how to practice. And then the success is the culmination of all the failure that led up to it. Right. Yeah. You gotta, you gotta fail well, I think is what they they say in the biz. Hell yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. In the biz. In the biz. (laughs) So you, along with most people, I feel like people from the outside are like, oh shit, you're doing really well. And the response is usually, uh, I mean, I'm glad it looks that way. <laughs> um, great, but for me, I had a really hard time in school because my success was based on a comparison that I was making to people who were already working. Mm-hmm, I never mm-hmm. compared myself to my peers because I was like, well, that's not sure. That's my like, quote unquote competition right now Mm -hmm. because that's who I'm around. But like once I graduate here, I, I want my, my idols to be my competition, you know, like I want to get to the point where I, I feel like I'm, I'm at that point. But, uh, I, I started doing that when I was in school. And so I would look at fucking James Jean and cry about it. But, uh, (laughs) so (laughs) when, I, oh, dude, so when, like, I, I use the same person as an example. Because <laughs> like, when he I, when I say. is, a, he's freakish. It's so good. It's, I have, I have a piece tattooed on my fucking body. It's, oh, shit. it's so, it's ridiculous. Okay. It's, it's, he's the Michael Jordan of illustration. It's, Beyond like the things he makes. He also really likes to make them. It, like at least it yeah. seems from an outside perspective. And I like I'm just trying to get there. I'm just trying <laughs> to get to that point where I like I really love the process. You right. know, and he seems to love it. That was all leading up to the question, like, who whose career do you look at of like when I'm there, I'm there. Um, I mean, as far as skill set goes, for sure, Jimmy Jean is, is up at the top of that list. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, don't we yeah, know. I mean, like, it's a, a seemingly effortless attempt at beautiful work um, mm-hmm. is, is like a lovely little thing. Um, I know that that's not necessarily the case. Right. That's never um, what it is. Yeah. I, him from one one aspect, and then someone that's like very close to me now is Kirk Wallace. As far as like business, sort of just like a work and illustrator standpoint, um, mm-hmm. 
just like I I'm not the kind of individual that needs like expensive things. I just need stuff that sort of like works and I can rely on and that is nice enough that I can enjoy it and is a pleasant enough environment to be like relaxed in or something right. to the point where I don't have to worry about the next paycheck would be kind of the successful point for me. Yeah. Um, so like, you know, looking up to like closer friends like that that have like a really nice successful uh, career is, is more of like where I, where they can say no to stuff and be confident right. that, that they're not going to kind of like lose their business or anything. But, right. you know, in the earlier stages, definitely like Sterling Hunley because of like all the types of clients he was getting were sort of like these like big American sort of like MLB post office type of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, even like working internationally, like I wanted to work with those types of things. I still do, but yeah. I think it's also shifting a little bit based off of more current interest. That's a really great question because it's sort of, it changes in time. Like I can mm-hmm. tell you like when I was in school, it was these people right now. It's maybe someone that's very different. And in 10 years, maybe it's going to be someone that's very different or maybe uh, hopefully right. I'm the person that someone's kind of like looking right. at as a thing would be the ideal situation. Sure. Um, sure. Yeah. I think like a lot of the professors that I went to school with, I, I held it very, very high standards and I kind of just want to emulate what they were doing and mm-hmm. what kind of clients they were working for and how they sort of like, set up their you know life as far as balancing making stuff and working outside of the art world and and -hmm. teaching and and i mean it's kind of pretty apparent as far as like mine what's happening with me right now in time is i'm teaching and i'm doing illustrations i'm you know working on other stuff and you know other other small jobs outside that make ends meet and it's, I don't know if I answered the question or if I went off the rails far too much. <laughs> yeah. I think that's a good answer because right. like in order to keep the urgency and keep pushing, it should evolve, you right. know, because it, it, it should be something that is in reach enough that it doesn't feel impossible. Like the fact that I was in school saying I wanted to be James fucking Gene was ridiculous you know it is it's not though at the same time it's mm, like it's ridiculous no (laughs) and like it's really not though like that's the thing like i i people have said that to me too it's like do you really like who's the best and like you got and it's like this thing was like no one's really the best because it's too subjective to say but like you you have to have a high tower to climb right otherwise you're never gonna get to be above anybody else not like you're really competing with each other but you sort of are i mean why not set your sights at something that's spectacular you know well because so i've gone rock climbing with both of you guys i feel like i can make (laughs) this analogy here where if you okay let's let's say you've been going to the gym for a little bit you're okay at climbing you're not sore every time you go now right but if you grab the holds of a ridiculously hard climb and you can't even stay on the wall on the start holds you don't want to keep trying that like you're going to exhaust yourself you're going to discourage yourself mm-hmm. you're not going to want to keep climbing you have to start at your v1s you got to go on your v2s you know you can't just just grab the shit that's the most inspiring I mean, but when you look at like a v12 and you try to get on it right and then you see people doing it at the gym that like sort of are like struggling, but they're kind of getting to the end and people right. are hyping on each other. And then you're still on a V3 and you're like kind of getting it, but that same atmosphere and the crew around you are giving you the same height. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Like y- yeah, you're going to see, you're going to be like, I want to get to the, that group. I want to get yeah. to that group. 
and you go and try it and you don't hold on and you just yep. like sort of feel out the the black little like premium <laughs> Tiny little crimps <laughs> yeah and and then you go back to like the v2 and they're the big pink ones and you're just like <laughs> yeah. Yeah, this is, it's so fun you're just yeah you're not totally. there yet you just gotta totally. it's obvious like they're all very muscly and you're maybe not very muscly. <laughs> I'm very much know? the opposite of what you were saying. It's like if yeah. I if I see someone do like a super hard climb, I'm like, well, why can't I do that? I'm just going to go try it like 50 times and not make it anywhere <laughs> and have a great time. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like if I fall off a bunch of times in a row, I'd laugh. I'd like falling. I really do in anything. Because, you know, sometimes you in trying something that is like, way out of my reach like let's take music for example right when i started making electronic music it was like a total shot in the dark it was like i don't do this i've never done this i'm a drummer primarily right so like i'm just gonna buy the equipment Mm -hmm. and then see what happens and in trying to make things like other people that were like far more experienced than me I made a lot of really stupid mistakes that are actually, to me, the cool shit in my work, right? Mm. So I do agree with you. It's like, man, you got to maybe have those people that are like at such a high level that you can fuck up in a cool way on your way there, you know? And then maybe that thing that you fuck up in not making what they made becomes that thing that is like special to you. It's like, oh, maybe, maybe I'm not meant to do what, you know? Yeah this super elevated cat is doing but maybe i can make this other weird shit that kind of like stems off of that inspiration you know yeah you you win the game when that happens yeah (laughs) (laughs) i mean you have to find like personal style and and personal voice like very very well in that analogy so i'm sure that when you were at the gym you fucked around with some shit that you shouldn't have been on and you were like this is cool i mean I get pissed at myself so easily. Mm, mm -hmm. If I start something, I start it with the intention of seeing it through to the point of proficiency. Sure. I mean, I sympathize with you for sure. You know, it's like going back to like when I was explaining like the whole sort of like laborsome style is like I got it proficient and now I don't want to do it anymore. And I'm afraid if I stick with it too long, people are going to surpass me or if it's not going to be relevant in a few years. Mm. Um, and then how do you modify if you sort of start to ground yourself in it? And then what mm-hmm. if you don't like to do it anymore, but people keep asking you to do it? Right. Like there's all these things that like you're kind of exposed to in school that have sort of, at least for me, rooted themselves in my brain where I can't really get out of that mindset all that much. Right. Yeah. And, and like really taking like certain individuals considerations and opinions far, um, more important than maybe your own or your own interests. Mm-hmm. Right, mm-hmm. that was a know. huge problem. But yeah, yeah. I mean, still a problem for me. I'm not. I won't lie. It's definitely still there. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. I I definitely had that fear in school because I I loved doing portraiture, and so I did I did a lot of that when I was in school. And mm-hmm. I in the illustration community, the the work that's being published that you are looking at, the the jobs that you're looking for are like. Rolling Stone and fucking New York Times and like doing right. these portraits of like David Bowie and shit. And I was like, fuck yeah, that would be sick. But when I graduated, 
the work that I was getting was people like, oh, can you draw a picture of my son? Can you, you know, like uh, that is the starting block of that path. Sure. And that was discouraging enough for me to be like, I don't want to draw your fucking children. (laughs) I know. Well, especially when you get to a point where you're like really confident in your skill set where you can be drawing David Bowie for Rolling Stone and you're only getting the little kid jobs. Right. Right, And you're all your professors are being like, you know, you won't have any problem or, you know, you could do that job is, and you, you're holding them to a high standard. You really respect what they say and you, you kind of value it. So you get out of school and you're thinking like, yeah, I can just jump to the top and people can, you know, like Victor Nye is an example of that. You know, yeah. she went straight to the top right out of school, but you know, that's not the case for everybody. You know, she's that mm-hmm. one out of 10 person that she, yeah, know, it's a rarity. Yeah. That. yeah. I'm right. But, right. it, but she makes it seem, not she as her individually, but people like that make it seem like it's so easy for everyone else to do that. Man, especially in my experience, you see someone who's successful and maybe maybe they're not even, their talent level isn't even at yours, right? Yeah. But somehow it's like right place, right time, right phone call, right whatever. You know what yeah, I mean? So much of it is like the, the guy that owns a record company happened to be at the bar you were playing at. Or totally. Whatever, you know? Totally. Yeah. It's like you bump into somebody that knows somebody and then Bob's your uncle, you know? It's like, yeah. sometimes it just happens. And mm-hmm. if you always ask, why not me? It will never be you, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. It's like you got to have enough confidence to know that those decisions that you're making are the right ones Mm -hmm. and that you trust in your judgment enough to continue to make your own decisions and not someone else's. Yeah. It's also like following what feels good too, Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. it's not like, cause I mean, so Victor and I, she's doing really incredible work, but that's, that's not the work that feels good to me to make. Right. And like, I'm not at all saying that I could make the work that she makes because it is, it's crazy. But, um, looking at somebody's path can also be dangerous thinking like, why not me? Mm-hmm. Well, it's like, well, dig into the things that you love and hopefully that will turn into something at some point, but it's not going to turn into what somebody else has because they have a completely different personal history from you informing the way that they work. Totally. You define the issue with social, social media. Dude. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, dude every day man yeah you talked about this before but you know that's the thing it's like you look at the profiles and you're like well i guess i can quit now you talk about it every episode because it's so because it's such a fucking problem like totally i i feel like everybody that i know who makes work has an instagram and keeps up with it but fucking hates it you know yeah you look at somebody's feed and you're getting the things that they're most happy about. Mm. And it always looks like somebody's doing better than you, no matter how good you're doing. Right. right? And you can't, you just can't like, you can't rely on that. You know, it's like a completely curated life experience. Everybody's got dirt under their fingernails. Everybody grows hair out of places that they don't want, you know, so whether you see it or not. I feel like we talk about this all the time. We even mentioned it earlier. What is the alternative? Like, I really want somebody to give an answer of like, yeah, what do we 
do instead. Like we all bitch and moan about Instagram because it yeah. sucks for obvious reasons and it makes everybody feel shitty about themselves. Mm-hmm. So what do we do instead? Well, I've thought about this a lot. Like what is that thing? And I don't know yet. And if it was a thing, how we interact with everything is probably not at the point where it's going to be uh, relevant enough. I think like when AR becomes more accessible, you're going to see way more illustration everywhere and, right. and stuff. What's and the use, it's not virtual reality. It's um, alternative reality. So like overlays on stuff like bus ads and stuff, you like, like Google glass is an example of it. You kind of like looking through glasses or whatever it was. And you're, you can sort of like watch movies, play video games, uh, look at ads. I don't know. It's going to be all for advertisement for sure. Um, yeah. It's just like Jeez. overlays in the real world of, of stuff and information. That sounds insane. Um, <laughs> it's fucking scary. You know, it's going to be a huge uh, up. There's going to be a huge need for like UI designers and motion graphics and illustration for sure when that becomes big. And it's mm. just not big enough yet. I'm such a material nerd that like fucking gets me off just looking at paint on a piece of fabric like you right. don't get that i mean um, you'll still have it for sure it's not gonna one's right. not gonna consume each other and that's the thing everyone's worried about and i'm not never concerned about like that is like it's gonna completely in- eliminate something like everyone right. always said like editorial illustrations dead it's never gonna be printed again it's no it's not the case it's just gonna transform into something else um right. and I, don't, I think there's always gonna be a place for paint on a canvas right uh, it's just going to change perhaps, you know, I don't know for the sake of just blabbing, you know, maybe galleries aren't what galleries seem to be, but they, you know, they become something different that I don't know mm-hmm. what that is. It even the commercial world that we live in has even transformed like paint on a canvas, you know, like you can buy a pair of socks with the Gustav Klimt on it. And so it's, it's turned this beautiful piece of, of fine artwork that and 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 not to like fucking turn my nose up and and sound like an asshole about that but like there mm. is a materiality that you lose when you print it on a pair of socks yeah. you know and yeah. it is kind of a bastardized version of it mm. and it's the same thing with <laughs> yeah because then people go oh that's those are my pair of socks on the wall not like that's that's my painting on the socks oh, <laughs> you know what oh, I mean? man. <laughs> exactly because yeah that- Exactly. My pair of socks on the wall. (laughs) (laughs) So I don't know. I'm just I. Maybe I'm being a purist, and maybe I'm being a baby about it. But well, it's also it's also something that you've committed yourself to, and it's like how you know it's something that you love so much that it moves you emotionally. So how can people put it on socks? And, you know, stick them in shoes. You know what I mean? Right. Like, if if I, at the point any of your paintings, people are asking them to put on socks or mass production, no way you're saying no to that either. Oh, <laughs> you know, he's got a point. Yeah, it's not wrong. And But it could also be that thing that motivates someone to go seek it out. You know what I mean? You never know. You never know what the influence of that stuff is going to be. I just want there to be a middle ground. I Because there's... There's the end of things where it, it's it's that fucking bell curve where totally. the, where one end of it is people buying a pair of socks and not thinking about what's on them. <laughs> and then the other end of that is people feeling like they can't walk into a gallery because they aren't classically trained at an atelier. You know, mm-hmm. it's yeah. there's got to be some type of middle where we can all feel like we have access to art, feel like we can talk about it 
feel like we can be a part of that conversation without having to make it, but those who make it still feel respected sure. in that craft. Sure. That's a, these are all my hopes and dreams, everybody. <laughs> so we're stage of making any change is creating the idea and you're starting that. So, yeah, you know, totally. you know, it's not like you're asking a very difficult question and expecting <laughs> a really easy answer. <laughs> right. Right. And I'm That's not valid. coming up with any solutions. Like might, might as well like what what ask what what the mysteries of the universe are. <laughs> right. Sure. But it's also like we were talking about earlier, right? No one's going to figure that out unless people are failing trying to figure it out. Versus like you not making the painting that you want because there's like steps along the way you don't understand yet. Mm. This is like a collective group of people stabbing at a larger picture a larger idea yeah. that we all have to fail collectively together to get to. Maybe Instagram yeah. is one of those failures. Right. Same thing with Facebook. You know what I mean? Just because they're working doesn't mean that part of it has failed and we can change it. And also it, it was at one point a good idea. That's what I'm saying. It, it worked at just one point. When money got into bed with it. Money's going to get into bed with everything. I don't want it to. <laughs> <laughs> You'll eventually get your cut, <laughs> and then you'll be like, "Keep, keep coming on here. Yeah, keep, keep the money flowing. Keep, keep yeah." <laughs> Thank you, sir. May I have another? Yeah. yeah. I wanted to dig a little bit more into the education piece because you are the first educator that we've had on. And I think it's also super cool that uh, <laughs> I wrote this in a cover letter when I was applying to teach that you're still close to the education that you had. Mm-hmm. And so in being a teacher, you can use what both helped and hurt you. You know, the yeah. fact that you're still young and you remember mm-hmm. your education pretty fresh. Mm-hmm. How are you sort of proceeding with that in your own classroom? Yeah, I mean, uh, let's go with like the hurt part first to get that out of the way. Um, <laughs> I, I think like just trying to, we touched upon this a little bit earlier, but just trying to get the approval from your teachers is like, is still something that's sort of like in my mind and rather mm-hmm. than like what I think is necessary. There's some aspect to that, that is like really uh, like when I make something, I'm like, what would they say? What would they think about it? You know, if I make this change, what would they think about me? What would they think about this thing? Like, would it, there's something weird about that, that like, I didn't realize like was uh, really happening until like more recently. I'm like, Oh, I'm still thinking about like all of the, all of those people that I learned from It's most likely because I had held them to like such a high standard and I looked up to all these people and I still do. You know, right. I still do. It like, hasn't ended right. since I just left the department. When I'm teaching, I try not to be like, I like this. I don't really say those type of things, um, mm. you know, and I don't really like to in- inject like my personal feelings towards something and really try to promote how they're, uh, if they're excited about something and try to dissect with a student what they're interested in and what styles they're sort of liking and and what directions they can go into based off of those specific interests rather than like what I find rather interesting. Because what what, what a student might like, that's cool. I could like be like, yeah, that's kind of neat, but I like this better. Yeah, I don't try to force that on them. And I don't try, I I try to, if I notice something like if a student's working in a specific style or their sketchbooks in a specific style, and then they're trying to kind of like work and do paintings and something that's completely different, like, why don't you try doing that thing instead and see how that works out and be a little bit more experimental, right. it, it, especially if their kind of excitement towards something is a little bit more higher 
and it, it right. feels a little bit more fun and it's still cool and good. So that's sort mm-hmm. of kind of like the different, that's like the major differences of things. And I going through mass art, like a lot of the class time was really critique time. And I, I sort of don't, don't do that sort of stuff all that much mm-hmm. because it becomes just like the Dom show. And I don't like that. You know, it's like, right. especially at the lower level classes where, mm-hmm. where students are still trying to figure out, like how to like look at someone else's work and give someone helpful feedback, right? To some extent. Right. Mm-hmm. So when we do do stuff like that, it's much more kind of like watered down in the sense of like we we talk about design stuff and we talk about does this image tell a story? And if so, how could that story be told a little bit more clearly? Because when this comes down to it, so you're trying to communicate something. In, as far as mm-hmm. illustration goes, right? You're trying to communicate mm-hmm. an idea or tell a story. It, it, it's like you're right in with images. And that's sort of how I sort of, dis- a lot of the you know intro classes that I teach to try to kind of express that ideology, which makes critiquing something far more easier and gives everybody something to talk about. You know, right. it's like, if this was yours, what would you change to it? You know, pretend you made this type of thing. Right. And that's sort of like something I've brought over from my time at MassArt and, and in grad school and stuff was uh, that sort of mentality rather than like some of the more fine arts classes that I took where it wasn't necessarily design wasn't really focused on the critique. And for me, it was really uncomfortable. So I mm-hmm. <laughs> try to stay away from like, how does this make you feel type of stuff? Right. Um, but it is really interesting. Like I started teaching when I was 23 and most Damn. of the students Fuck. in my class were like 18. And it, I, it was like only recently I was like the oldest person in the classroom. Which was like, <laughs> <laughs> was, was like kind of nice little milestone. Yeah. I was like, I did it. I'm old now. <laughs> it's, it's a strange thing though. When you have someone who's like 28 in a class and you're 24. And you're teaching them and it, it is some sort of strange dynamic there because there's some there's some like seniority where you're supposed to you right. know, older people are supposed to know more it's just like for this it's definitely not the case you know in this type of work yeah yeah but are, how old are you in your craft that's the question yeah i guess mm. so that's the that's a far better question too. not even in years in in like hours spent an hour right. spent doing it, hours spent consuming it, hours spent thinking about it. Mm-hmm. Because you think about it way more than you think about anything else. Mm-hmm. You know, especially if it's something that you've sacrificed food and sleep for. Like, it's the hierarchy of needs. It's pretty up there. Like transportation. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like a Jeep. Yeah. <laughs> like <the> sh- <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's that's literally what it is. It's, it's uh, I think, I think it's all about you know, the, the maturity in the craft, right? Mm-hmm. It, it doesn't matter that you were 23 yeah, and that guy's 28 or whoever that individual yeah. is 28. It doesn't matter. Yeah. You know? I, I remember when I was coaching rowing, I was, I was 21 and I was coaching adults and, um, <laughs> you know, like it wasn't, it wasn't super competitive. It wasn't like I was training the fucking national team or anything like that. It was right. like, I, I was teaching people how to row and they, some of them were like 40 and 50 year olds and yep. some of them really hated yep taking direction from a 21 year old but you know it's like i get over it grandpa that's something (laughs) i've never really felt was like someone not respecting me in a classroom or at least they made it seem like really well that they hit it (laughs) (laughs) right that's awesome yeah that's awesome but that also shows that when you're speaking with people there's a level of respect that you bring to the table as Mm -hmm. well you know what i I mean respect is is usually returned i would say 
Yeah. Know? And it sounds so. like the way that you're running your classroom is that like, this is their education. It's not about you and it's not yeah. about the work that you do. It's about the uh, mechanics that you utilize to make your work, but it's not your work. It's, yeah. it's the, mm. the skeleton it's that you put it on. The invisible thing. This is like, to keep saying. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Totally. Um, yeah. And that's why I feel really confident and comfortable at the classes I do teach and at the level I'm at and where I'm at in my career with this sort of stuff is like, I can give someone a solid foundation and here's your toolbox and I'll see what you can make with all these tools. You know, it's up to you because at a certain level, you know, you get to a senior year, someone who's like really grasped all the fundamentals is there's, there's not really much left for you to really learn from somebody right. else. Right. You got to mm-hmm. figure it out on your own at some point. You got to like right. make that leap and like leave that behind, you know, or, mm-hmm. or allow the space for someone to do it. Even if they are in like a class in a group environment, and not be so like mechanical with the process, right? Because mm-hmm. it's only going to mm-hmm. detriment somebody who has trying to explore and try it and to find maybe a personal style or experiment. And you give them a rigid system like I made for myself, creating illustrations, mm-hmm. probably isn't like the best thing to do at that stage in someone's education. Totally. Yeah. But I think that that fosters people developing their own opinions, not to like trash on. <laughs> on school but i feel like i i I didn't learn how to develop my own opinions until i didn't have anybody to look to you know i felt like i was almost surrounded by too many opinions that i i didn't know how to trust myself when i was in school because Mm. i was too busy trusting everybody else you know Mm. and it Mm -hmm. it sounds like you're creating an environment where people cannot can not only learn how to better their craft, but also better their confidence in being able to build that. Hell yeah. yeah. That's, and that's something that I struggled with a lot, especially when entering competitions a lot early on, like in school Dude. and then after school. Like, and, and it's, you know, especially if you start getting into a lot of them and, and you, you start kind of like getting a whole bunch of little shiny things, right? Now you're valuing the competition, valuing winning little medals more than kind of like your progress. You're kind of just... What I would consider maybe like the closest thing maybe is like gallery work where you're just making the same work for a gallery because they keep telling you it's selling really well. It's like you're still making the same work for the competition because you keep getting into the competitions. And then there became a point like 2018 or something, 2017, that I just said I'm not doing the competitions anymore because they're starting to like dictate what I do and how I act and what decisions I make. And I got into most of the major ones. And like, what is it really, if I keep getting into them, I already know I can get into it. It's not like a, right. you know, there's like a, there's a thing that happens is like, you got to start, you know, at least for me, I kept saying to myself, you got to start thinking for yourself now, like what's next for you. Um, Cause you know, I also noticed like competitions as much as they may seem they're cool and good. And a lot of them do do good things for people. I never saw any uh, help from them as right. far as career goes right they always just ended up being an expense that's so weird to me to turn something like illustration into a competition that is odd early it's, on it made really yeah. it made sense like throughout the mm. 80s and stuff because the society of illustrators probably not the first competition to ever be held as far as illustration goes i'm not exactly mm-hmm. sure on the history of all of it but they would compile a book and the book art directors would buy that book and they would send that book to art directors. So like you get into gotcha, societies gotcha. more like the staple zone that you're a good enough illustrator 
for like New York Times to call you kind right, of thing. Right. And I think mm-hmm. that was sort of the start of it all and where it sort of made sense, kind of like collecting mm-hmm. some of the best examples of illustrations wrote that year. And that made sense. But right. now it's like you do really need that. You can kind of like hunt for it on Behance so much faster and yeah. easier and sift through what's good and what's not and what you're kind of attracted to over what someone has curated for you. Mm-hmm. I'll definitely play the game probably in the future at some point, but I'm not, a, sure. I, I'm not like really $50 an entry, you know, $85 for a series. I'll invest that money somewhere else at this stage. You know, Dude, there's a saying in music. If you have to pay to play, you don't want to be there. You know what I mean? Yeah. Dang. That's good. I like that a yeah. lot. I want to write that down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, like how much money is are the people that put that together? How much are they getting for oh, that? Dude, I, you know no, I, mean? I don't want to think about that. That's gross. That's kind of what I'm getting at. You <sighs> yeah. never, you never want to pay to play. Yeah, yeah, definitely. There's competitions like the Guitar Center Drum Off, right? Which sounds ridiculous, right? <laughs> it, it sounds it ridiculous. It sounds ridiculous. But people have built entire careers off of that, That's right? Crazy. But all the people that have won over the past ten years do so. the exact same shit just a little bit different and it's like dude i don't want to do that yeah i mean it's it's sort of like you said where you you figured out that you can get in you can make the type of work that is published in that annual mm-hmm. but then at some point you want to grow from that you don't want totally. to keep making the work that you've already figured out you want to keep problem solving and so you have to create more problems for yourself that you haven't already solved hmm. i will say those annuals though going through college really gave me something to look forward not sorry not look forward to but um look to as far as like what is good what's out there what good can be gave me lots of inspiration showed me different techniques that I wasn't subject to in school or people weren't showing me in school and and really did kind of broaden the horizon but you you do start going down the rabbit hole you do see there's a lot of kind of repeat stuff Mm. which sort of fosters this idea that everyone's you know style ends up kind of looking a lot alike if you Mm -hmm. go on Instagram the iPad and procreate and stuff are sort of like a double-edged sword where it's really great everybody can kind of do it now but it's also bad that everyone can do it now Mm, you know right this you know that like anybody with an ipad now is like polluting that water where Mm -hmm. you know you have someone who's doing it for eight years making all this beautiful work you know that's getting kind of like overrun by the same old stuff that is just getting you know thousands of likes and it's just sort of whatever and again, it comes down to opinion, but it's just one opinion out of many. With teaching, I know that you and I also have talked a lot about giving people freedom within that direction. There isn't just one way to do it. There isn't just one look that is right. Uh, how do you promote that in your classroom? First thing I do on like first day is I show them a giant presentation of like, a very wide variety of illustration and what illustration is used for and what it can be to sort of kind mm-hmm. of like get them mm-hmm. outside of the mindset that like whatever they find on like art station is the only thing that's good or something. And to maybe kind of give them a little bit of a, uh, an understanding of what I kind of got out of looking at annuals at an earlier stage. Cause I didn't really understand, like get into the illustration annuals and stuff till I was like in the d- illustration department as a sophomore mm-hmm. You know, and so on the first day, I just try to show them like, this is a bunch of different styles and you can explore all of these. Or if you're super excited about one of them, you can play around with that one idea. And, you know, and I also encourage like, if you like a specific style, 
like understand what you like about someone's work. So if you look at Adele Rodriguez's illustrations and you really, really like Adele Rodriguez's stuff, like, let's say, what do you like about this work? Do you like that it's political? Do you like that it's just flat and graphic? Do you like that it's an, an idea rather than a story? Or if you don't like it, what do you not like about it? And like, it's really hard for like a first semester freshman to like uh, try something and, and kind of commit to failing a lot. But I, mm -hmm. I, I really try to drive in the fact that like the more you don't know what you like, the better it is later on. You're going to find out what you do like and you're going to find right. that faster totally. than someone that's just kind of like aimlessly exploring without any right. consideration of those things. To sort of like more just dissecting, you know, past the surface level of why you like something or why you don't like something. And then trying to right. figure out how to do it and, you know, understanding how to make something. And then once you figure out how to make work similar to one of your inspirations or a couple of your inspirations, how do you combine those things together? How do you add your own spin on it to make it different than that? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The other thing that, I had trouble with in school that I'm curious about of, of how you approach that. Um, when you graduate, it's never what they tell you, you know, they say it's going to be hard, but it's a hundred times harder of like Super losing hard. your community, losing the direction, learning how to trust yeah. yourself, learning how to push past failure. Like how do you mitigate that mm. inevitable mm. depression? Uh, well, I'm still figuring that out, to be honest with you. Yeah. <laughs> Coming yeah, on yeah. here and chatting with you guys is stage one. <laughs> yeah. Oh, <laughs> um, yeah. But uh, no, it's exactly continuing those things. And it's sort of like what we were talking about with like social media and the evolution of like like illustration or music or, or painting or whatever. It's just mm -hmm. try to make things similar to how they are in school, but understand that they're going to be different than how you perceive them to be. Right. You know, I right. wasn't super stellar with keeping up with people right away. Um, there was a few immediate people, but it also is really difficult to just stay in touch with everybody that you went to school with is almost like a full-time job now. But if you know you work really well, like Julia, like we kind of get inspired to work when we talk to each other. So just yeah. like making a point to talk to your friends that inspire you to make stuff more often yeah. will just kind of you'll we'll be more productive that way totally. actually hold people accountable for what you know they do like promise each other and hold each other to a promise wherever you do end up when you leave it's important and it's something that i didn't really do after school is like important that you create a space to work it's important that you take a break it's important that you don't kind of stress out too much if things aren't going so well in the beginning and it's mm -hmm. important to take the jobs when you're drawing people's children <laughs> yeah yeah totally you know and that's something i kind of didn't do too much or tried to like only do the big boy jobs and you know and, and think there's more to life than being in the studio all the time as well and those things sort of dictate you know uh what you make how you make when you make stuff mm -hmm. and to know that it's sort of like an inevitable evolution of something different because it's not going to be the same you know like it's going to mm -hmm. be different and you should expect it to be different. Yeah. Well, speaking of community, I think that wraps up the chat pretty nicely. Yeah. And uh, we'd love to hear about if you have three people in your community that you, oh, that you think that we should shed some light on, share the love and maybe talk to. 
Oh God, oh, there's so many I could give you. There's a laundry list of people I could give you. I haven't been very good about telling people in advance that yeah. this is a question that we ask, but I knew that it was going to be I a know. problem for you. So I, gave <laughs> you yeah, I could give you like 20 people that you could bring on this thing. Well, maybe you give us three and then <laughs> okay. email us the other yeah. 17. <laughs> Let's see. I think, you know, uh, first one that comes to mind is, is Dallin Orr, who does stained glass work. And as an illustrator out in Utah, uh, Danny Schwartz, who's a editorial and children's book ish. He's like trying to get more into publishing work now. Uh, illustrator mm-hmm. in Brooklyn currently, and then let's go Kirk Wallace. Uh, he's great. Um, yeah, I met I met all of them during grad school at Hartford. There's mm-hmm. going to be a lot of people from that group that aren't happy with me right now, but you made me do it. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, you can, you can totally blame us. I'm gonna, yeah, yeah. I'm going to email you basically everyone else from, from Please that. Please do. Yeah. If you send a list, I will put them all in the description. Okay, cool. Hell yeah, yeah. Totally. But, uh, There's yeah. going to be a laundry list. It's going to be big. Excellent, man. Dude, this was fantastic. Thank you yeah. so much. Yeah. Well, this was so lovely. fun. This is, yeah, no, thanks for, you know, asking me to come on and talk and... I was looking forward yeah. to it like all Hell week. Yeah. So yeah, this Good. is fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm so glad. Thanks for tuning in to episode 10 of the Seedcast featuring illustrator Dom Civiello. For more information about our show and our guests, both previous and upcoming, please follow us at The Seedcast on Instagram or email us at casttheseed at gmail.com. Coming up next week, we sit down with musician Harris Passeltiner. Stay tuned in.